See, the problem when I produce these shows myself, I don't have the, the fun 60-second uh, countdown graphic that the real producers have while we wait for people to uh, populate in the room, including one of our guests. So, you know, I'll just filibuster for another second and uh, see if we can find our other guest, and then we'll, we'll get the show going in a second. It's not as much fun as the, the generic music that you sometimes uh, hear on these shows, but uh, you know, you, you get what you get. You get 30 seconds of me filibustering instead. Hello and welcome to a very special presentation of In The Money Media. This is our Pegasus Day Pick 6 show. Really excited to be uh, on the airwaves with you. We've got uh, two great guests, one of whom will be along in uh, just a minute's time, but I'll right now introduce uh, the first one back on these in the money airwaves after a brief absence always a pleasure to speak with tv's matt bernier matt how are things i'm good pete uh looking forward to seeing you down here this weekend it's been fantastic weather lately and it looks like it's only gonna get better over the weekend so uh this is as good a time as ever to talk pegasus I heard Floridians, some Floridians out there complaining about the weather lately in Florida. Now, as a Northeasterner, I trust your perspective on this. Are they, are they complaining because it's been like 65 instead of 70, or, or has it been a little ropey down there? Pete, I've gotten soft in a short amount of time. I was even complaining about 65 and a little bit of a breeze. It's all relative, right? When you're used to one thing and all of a sudden it changes. Uh, yeah, I got soft in a matter of like eight weeks, but no, it's now finally. This is this is Florida weather. This is 80 degrees, sunshine, a little bit of a breeze. You couldn't ask for more. And, and like I said, I think it's only supposed to warm up over the weekend. So um, if firm turf is your kind of thing in a fast main track, uh, Gulf Stream's where to be. I'm super excited to talk to you about these races. We'll wait another minute for our other guests to arrive. I'll ask you more generally, yeah, just how you've been enjoying the South Florida lifestyle, what you've been thinking generally of like the way these tracks have been playing at Gulfstream and, and how you've been, you know, making making the adjustment to, to being back down in South Florida. It's been fun. Um, as far as the racing is concerned, I think it's been very good. Uh, it's good that we got we had a, a bad stretch of rain for a few weeks that washed a ton of races off the grass. And we had it seemed like constant tapita card after tapita card. And I'm a fan of the synthetic. I don't have a problem with it, but it just you know, it kind of changes your outlook on, on going into some of these cards. Um, I don't know it'll be such a big deal on Saturday because we've only got a couple of synthetic races, but the most obvious and significant sort of, I don't want to call them biases, but track profiles, sprinting on Tapita, you better be up on the lead or pushing it. Otherwise, you don't really have much of a chance. And the same goes for those five furlong turf sprints where that's not really breaking any news. I finally bought in to the JK methodology of just give me the gas, give me the horse that's going to make the front. <laughs> And let them go. And guess what? It's right more often than not. So um, those are the two kind of pressing ones. By and large, this is a new turf course. I think it's been very, very fair, very consistent. Um, speed does well. If you're good enough to come from out of the clouds, you can do so. And, and the main track, I would say it's just kind of your standard Gulf stream. You know, you have days where it's a little bit kinder to speed. But by and large, I think it's been a very fair, even playing surface. Got a comment from Rob. If you make comments, once we get into the meat of the handicapping, I'll try to answer as many as I can. It gets to be a bit of a fire drill sometimes, and, I, and if I miss you, I apologize. But we'll throw up as many as, as we can along the way. Rob just observing about Gulfstream doing a good job of managing the turf course, um, keeping 
uh, most of the sprints on synthetic, I guess, meaning like they, they, they've had to move some races over, but a lot's been able to stay on. And, and the great thing about synthetic, you know, bias or no, uh, at least the fields hold together. You know what I mean? As yes. opposed to having just to be the scratch fest that it can be. And, and that's what really I think the the onus for the Tapita has been really not just down here, but you're seeing many other places. New York is going to put one in at Belmont Park where instead of having these fields that would have been full fields on turf scratched off onto the main track that's sloppy and you got a field of four or five. Now you've got basically a, a nice full field that more or less stays together on the Tapita, uh, plays a little bit differently. But I, I, I think it's one of those that if you just pay enough attention, you're going to be OK. We have some funny comments here. Well, this one isn't funny. This is this is just uh, Pete <laughs> Appleby saying he misses you. Somebody points out the irony of, of that we're doing this during the Eclipse Award ceremony. To be honest, I didn't think about that. It certainly was no not meant to be a diss. I'm very interested in what's going on in the Eclipse Awards. Uh, buddies up for the, the Steeplechase Award, 10 Strike Racing and River D, other people receiving. But, you know, when, it, when it's all hands on deck. When you get a week like Pegasus Week, this is essentially this is when we can do it, and it's an on-demand world. You can watch this on demand. You can watch the Eclipse Awards on demand. Certainly, no offense meant by that, but I'm glad uh, Fairway that you pointed that out, just so I could say that explicitly, and nobody took it as a, a thumb in the eye. I was, uh, I would be up there, but my wife is out with a girlfriend tonight, and I am on dad duty. So if you hear somebody nice. screaming in the other room, it's the kid. <laughs> Well, we I can apologize for you because you've, you've got a very sympathetic audience for that type of thing. And me and in the man that I'm about to introduce coming to us now from Texas, we bring in Nick Tamaro. Nick, and are you are you on uh, you on daddy duty? Any, any chance we're going to get a, a, a child interruption in, in, uh, in your side of the screen tonight? No, I was on Philly Joe airport retrieval duty. So that's why <laughs> I'm a few minutes tardy who has uh, already already deemed Houston traffic as bad as any he's seen in America. And he is from, of course, the city of brotherly love. So uh, yeah, we're uh, no, actually my daughter is in school now. So she's, she just went to bed. So gotcha. telling you a little tuition. That's what it gets you. Non-zero chance. My daughter will, will appear and, and tell me that she's too, too excited to, to, uh, to sleep after her uh, successful, I'm brag, brag a little, her successful uh, red tip belt Taekwondo exam. She may, she may appear at some point. All right. We, we've had, some I, I think actually foot, if you have any footage of, uh, of parents Taekwondo perform or Taekwondo test, I think that'd be more appealing to me than the eclipse awards. So just, uh... <laughs> I did just I did just tweet it. Funny enough that you mentioned Good. that. It's a, it's a tremendous. It's a tremendous. There's a large television here. I'm going to add it to. But. <laughs> All right, let's get into the meat. Let's let's get to why we're here. I see the comments coming in. I love that. Again, we'll get to to as many as we can. You'd help me out, uh, viewers. If you if you can ask questions about a race as we're talking about the race, I'll really do my best to try to uh, to try to get to some of those. Others I might just flash up on screen without comment, just so at least we can acknowledge your contributions to the show, which we really do appreciate. The pick six starts off in race number eight. Actually, I should ask you guys first, and no obligation here, obviously putting you on the spot. But is there anything? in the first seven races that you'd feel remiss if we didn't have a chance to talk about. I really focused on the latter half of the card, but there is some very interesting stuff. Early honest. On. Anything leap out at you? I, I haven't gotten that far. I've, I've only looked at the back half. So uh, no worries. No worries. Going ahead. Oh, it was a, it was an on the spot question. I just didn't want to be accused of a host fail. If, if we went off air and then Nick said, Oh, my best bet was in the fourth or something. I just wanted to prevent uh, <laughs> 
that from happening. Um, how about you, Nick? You I would do kick- something like that, wouldn't I? I would sandbag you like that and make it look <laughs> like I was holding it in abeyance. But um, no, I mean, there are a couple of interesting races in the early portion. Um, and I've got a little bit of work to do on the on the newly turned three-year-old race. Of course, that's the maiden special that yielded Mage last year. It's got a much bigger field this year. I will say the I think the likeliest winner on the entire card is Romagna Mia, who's on the rail in the... Uh, in the La Prevoyant, which is the six, she looked really good winning that Via Borghese. And I know it was rained off the turf and put on the, on the synthetic, but she looked really good winning the Dowager as well. So she looks like a really nice distance Philly. And um, so she comes up at least there's a couple of races before the pick six sequence. So, you know, maybe one, if you're playing some of those middle, middle pick action, pick four, pick five in the middle of the card, I think she's one you can probably lean on pretty strongly. Jim asked a very good question here. Just a wagering strategy type question about, um, the fact that uh, we have this tropical turf pick three, which we have a whole other show on, by the way, which is all races within the pick six and saying maybe that's better value. And I, I can't disagree. Um, there will be a mandatory payout on Sunday. Uh, we've seen from some of the numbers, though, that even those aren't necessarily they're in, you know, they, they're enticing. They're going to be big pools. But I mean, for me, the decision to play the pick six, it really all comes down to, to your opinion. I mean, if you have an opinion where you think you're going to be able to get paid despite the what the effective takeout is. I'm not going to judge anybody for wanting to play the pick six. I mean, to be honest, we do these sequences because it's, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. Tracks love it. Uh, it's easier for guests when we say we're going to do the pick six, but along the way here, hopefully we're going to come up with either some vertical ideas or some other potential wagers to play. And the tropical turf pick three, which is encompassed in these six races is certainly, uh, certainly a good one of those. So that was a very excellent observation from Jim, but that notwithstanding, we are going to be looking at the pick six, starting with this McKnight grade three action going a mile and a half, uh, a race where um, Chad Brown, who has not had the, the strongest meat of his life sends out the top two favorites here in the form of Francesco Clemente and Stone Age. Nick, I'll start with you. Are you with these favorites or against them? Um, well, I wouldn't bet Stone Age with Monopoly money. Um, just <laughs> I've he, I've seen enough of of Stone Age. I've I've had quite enough. No, I like Verstappen. Um, I I don't. So Francesco Clemente can win this race, but right, but this horse has been wildly overbet in in uh, all three U.S. starts. I know he won two back at Aqueduct, and I guess he probably should have won in the Hollywood Turf Cup. But you know, you're taking your life in your hands with a horse like this every time going long on the turf. Now he's got to negotiate a trip from. I know he's inside, which is good from a ground saving perspective, but he's got to try and work through what will almost certainly be some traffic when you're coming from you know arguably eight to ten plus lengths off of this. And he's just the kind of horse to me that you're supposed to be betting against. The other thing, and look, Chad's record right now is a little bit worse than you would ever expect, right? I don't recall the last time he started to meet. I don't think he's ever started to meet this slowly in his entire career, but Chad does not treat this time of year as particularly important. This is the time of year where his stable really becomes somewhat dormant and he's not pointing horses to the McKnight late breaking news. Um, So I I thought Verstappen actually in a, in a way, um, so I guess to answer your question and keep us on point, no, I'm against both stone age and, uh, and Francesco Clemente. Verstappen makes sense. That would be my top pick in the Verstappen, race. Verstappen, yeah. I mean, I could segue right into my pick, right? So I thought yeah. Verstappen kind of quietly ran a lot of really good races last year. I mean, I think he ran, um, obviously he ran well in the spring in the Elkhorn, um, but he came back with some credible races and in, in some really 
odd spots, right? He ran in Indiana, Horseshoe, Indianapolis. He ran at Saratoga. He arguably ran, you know, one of the better races in the Bowling Green, um, given how close he was to the pace and that that uh, channel maker ran a little bit better. Obviously, he was wide in the in the uh, Kentucky Downs Turf Cup. That was obviously when he wanted to be inside. And he ended the, the season with a really good effort in the Red Smith. I mean, watching the replay back, I knew this horse ran well when I first watched it. I watched the replay and was like, man, he was he was best in there. He was always within the teeth of that pace, made the first move um, as the, the runaway leaders kind of came back to him. And uh, I'll take a horse off of that kind of trip. I like Detori getting on. Brendan Walsh started to meet a little slowly too, but this horse is the right kind of price for me. Heating up for sure. Any backups you want to name check in this spot or is it really a Verstappen or bust for you? Um, I mean, I'll use, I'll use, um, you know, I, I really, I really don't have a lot of backups that I want. It is kind of Verstappen or bust. I don't want to be too married to him. Um, I could see myself using Francesco Clemente as a backup. I don't want to necessarily be completely beaten by him. He's just not a horse I would I would really ever bet to win. Matt, let's bring you back in to get your views on this one. Uh, Nick and I both with Verstappen. I, I could tell you a story about Cellist as a long shot off that Sycamore running line that makes me think maybe there's a world in which he could wire him at a price. But where are you in the McKnight? Uh, I echo Nick's sentiments on Stone Age. You couldn't pay me to bet that horse. Um, I just don't think he's that good, frankly. I don't know, really know where that second in the Breeders' Cup came from a couple of years ago. Probably more an indictment on that field than anything else. Um, Francesco Clemente, it, it, he can win for certain. Um, if you're playing the multis, I guess it depends what you think of the sequence down the road. Um, I, I would be using him probably defensively. I like Verstappen. I like the 11 Anglophile. Um, his two runs at a mile and a quarter or longer, they're both wins. And I know he's only got two 10 furlong races, but... I wonder if that's what he's kind of wanted all along, uh, but I'm going to go with Chalice. You mentioned him, Pete. Uh, I think this is by and large a paceless race, and I guess it depends what Brand Sonata does. If he gets into the other race or they end up here, I don't really look at him as a mile and a half kind of horse. They've tried it before. It hasn't worked. Um, Chalice, I, I think you can make an argument that maybe more often than not a bridesmaid as opposed to a bride, but I don't care about the two Churchill races. That turf course was goofy over the back half of the year. Um, they probably shouldn't have been running on it anyway by the very end of it. And I, I think his other races this year have all been very strong, including that stake at Turfway where he had a, had a bit of an issue at the start and still came with a run. I think he's better when they put him up on the engine. And I, I just don't think there's a lot of speed in this race. So Chellis would kind of be where I'm going to go. I like the sound of that. A seven, eight, really eight more, eight, seven for you than seven, eight. Am I getting that right, Matt? Yeah, I would, I would go seven, eight and 11 in there. Seven, eight, eleven for that. Right. Gave that nice shout for for uh, for Anglophile too, a horse that I know that uh, Brian Natto gave a good shout to on the on the players podcast that will be dropping soon. Let's pivot to race number nine. We've got graded stakes action in the form of the inside information. Grade two for Phillies and mares, four and up, seven furlongs on the dirt. I was really uncreative in this spot, so I'll just confess to that first. And was thinking. Uh, there were worse ideas than potentially trying to lock it up with the likes of Mary Quite Contrary and Intrepid Daydream. Matt, can you uh, offer me anything more creative than my uh, chalky thoughts on this one? No, not as far as Mary is concerned. I, I just think she's the best horse in the race. And I, my real opinion is I just I don't want anyone from the sugar swirl. Maybe that's going to end up being the kiss of death. But I, I just don't like races where you've got five horses separated by a length and a half on the dirt. I thought it was a day that speed did well on the main track. If you wanted a horse out of that, maybe it is Intrepid Daydream because she really hadn't been based down here at all. She shipped in from Laurel. She went into Safi's barn. She ran probably against the bias a little bit. Now with the start under her belt, she probably improves. But 
Uh, I just think Mary quite contrary is a better horse than these are, frankly. And she loves it at Gulfstream, seven wins from nine starts. She's never been out of the exacta. If you were looking for a really crazy horse, I don't think she's this good, and I don't think she wants to go this far. But sassy nature, should she go? If they, they just let her go and think that she's going to stop at some point, maybe she can get brave. But uh, for me, it would be lone A would be the nine. Yeah, and I mean, I, the time form pace projector gives some sympathy for that idea of sassy nature potentially leading them a long way if she can make the surface adjustment that would be needed to do so. Nick, how about you? Can you uh, reach for something at a longer price? Do you, do you think you can lock this up at the lower end of the market? I mean, oof. I, I've I've been skeptical of Mary Quite Contrary a few times, and she's stuffed me in a locker as you like to say peach and i'm i'm just i'm done with that i she's i thought her rampart was very solid it was not the greatest field obviously um but she didn't really have much reason to win that race and she still did they didn't really go in front of her she had to kind of wait for a bit uh, there was a little bit of movement to her outside before she got herself into a, a decent spot and she really finished she's just a horse that's remarkably consistent she obviously loves Gulfstream, and i think the you know the version of mary quite contrary that i think we hoped would show up at saratoga last year never really did um, but the Gulfstream version is just a different animal so I, i'm not going to spend really any money at all um, to try and beat her. Um, it's her or nothing for me because I agree with Matt. I don't like the sugar swirl. I think that Intrepid Daydream in a way um, looks a little bit like fool's gold to me. And I think that because she had run a fast race prior at Laurel, I think the figure in the sugar swirl might be a little bit high. Um, so I'm, I'm looking elsewhere. I think this is Mary quite contrary or bust. Let's go to leg C of the pick six, which would also be the middle leg of the pick three. Lots of positive comments about the all turf pick three, the tropical turf pick three. And I have to say, I, I agree. I've been extremely impressed by how well this bet has been paying on a regular basis, even with favorites. I think a combination of that low takeout and that high minimum, which in a subtle way, it, it's some people think I'm nuts when I say this, but believe me, I think if you, if you do the math, if you really look at it, that high minimum actually helps players by making the pools a little bit less efficient and also by forcing horse players to have to stick with some opinions and not get too spready. So we'll see if we can keep these tropical turf pick threes and these pick sixes going in the Pegasus World Cup. Philly and Mare Turf, grade two action with a big full field. And uh, Nick, I'm going to ask you the first question, and it has to do with the figure of Star Fortress the last day. This uh, Matt was talking about the turf course and um, how unusually it was playing uh, last fall at Churchill Downs. This was the only turf race run that day. There was moisture in the turf. Lots of reasons to question it, except for the fact that the horses that have come back out of it seem to be completely validating the figure. It leaves me kind of wanting to throw up my hands and not knowing quite what to do with Star Fortress at the end of the day. Nick, what do you think of this figure specifically? Talk about the challenges of making a figure on a day like this. Yeah, by far and away the most interesting horse running on Saturday, in my opinion. Um, who knows what Star Fortress is, right? I mean, what we know is that she ran extremely well in the Cardinal. Obviously, um, and, and I was doing another another show earlier today for Twin Spires, and I said, you know, horses don't win by 10 plus lengths on the turf, 10 or more, even really, what, six or more, unless you're talking about a pretty extreme scenario with regards to surface and condition. And I think it's safe to say that that was, um, it was just a turf course that she handled when really nobody else did. And so unless you're just Unless you're going to take the approach that maybe she prefers something that's a little spongier, a little softer under her feet, 
I kind of think you're supposed to take that race at face value. I think that's just a mistake you're supposed to make. And, and if she loses this race at, you know, at two to one or so you say, okay, well, it was kind of a fluke, but otherwise, as you said, I mean, they, they validated that race pretty nicely coming back out of it. And, and it's not like she just ran pretty well. She ran extremely well. She's also in the hands of a really excellent horsewoman in uh, Cherie DeVoe, who clearly had an eye on saving her for this race coming out of that big performance. So um, yeah, I, I can't wait to see how she performs. I mean, looking at, at just pretty much any speed figure at all, 126 time form, a zero thoroughgraph number. I mean, no matter what you look at, this was just an insanely fast race. And and I'm I'm hopeful um, because racing needs stars uh, pretty much at any time that that race was just a, a precursor to what we're going to end up getting from Star Fortress because uh, it was it was damn good. Your passion as a fan comes through and it's awesome. But what about from a strictly wagering point of view on Saturday? Is she one you feel comfortable singling or do you need others to back her up? Um, I mean, I'm not completely comfortable singling her uh, just because I do think Fluffy Socks can win this race. And I know it's sort of funny to say that Star Fortress might be the most interesting horse on the card and say I'm going to help her out with sort of a career loser. But uh, but Fluffy Socks is a horse that I do think has overcome some adversity at various points in time. I thought she actually ran very well in the Matriarch last time out. And she's kind of the atypical Chad Brown horse that you'd see this time of year in that. I mean, Fluffy Socks just kind of continues to run. She just runs and runs and runs and and. Um, there aren't a lot of horses that Chad runs on a regular basis that are graded stakes types as frequently as he runs her. I know it sounds ridiculous that she's run 11 times in the last two years, but still she seems to fire just about every time and she's going to get enough pace to run at. I'd imagine that accomplished girl will show more speed this time around than she did last time. It was her stablemate sister Luann that did a little bit more of the heavy lifting early. So it feels like there'll be enough pace to set things up in here with Ruby Nell, obviously in there setting the the tempo. So I, I'd go a little four, seven. I'd probably, I'd use the nine Diddy a little bit uh, more so as a backup. I, I have a, I have a hard time poking holes in her resume. She's been a, a pretty nice horse now for the last couple of years. Some really interesting runners in here. I mean, the three that you mentioned, I, I'm very much interested in. I could try to tell you a story about uh, a runner like mission of joy, even as a rising four-year-old, you know, going to be tested for class has to get a little bit faster, but might be the right price might be in the right, uh, might be in the right hands to do exactly that. I, for me, this is definitely a, a spread survive advance race. I'm not going to count out Ruby. Now I agree with what you're saying in theory about there being a ton of pace, but I like the idea of trying to have, and whatever I do, I want to have some Ruby Nell and some fluffy socks just with the the idea we talk about all the time on these shows about trying to have who we think is the best speed and the best closer. I can't really help in this race just because I'm so darn spready four, six, seven, nine, eleven. Matt, how about you? Uh, any clarity for you when it comes to this Philly and Matt turf? Yeah, just four, six for me. Um, the idea with Ruby Nell, uh, I, I understand maybe there is some other speed that can hook her and maybe I don't want to say she was exposed to the matriarch against better horses, but I wouldn't fault anyone that looks at it and says that's kind of the acid test and she didn't quite pass it. But to me, the fact that Mandela is putting her on a plane, we talked about it earlier today. Mandela, when he ships to the East Coast, he does it few and far between, but typically he's only doing it if the horse can win. Um, he did it with the Haskell. It had been something nearly 25 years, same since his last try here at Gulfstream. He'd been 25 years, and that was a win. I'm not saying that that's why that she would or wouldn't win, but the point being, he's only going to put a horse on a plane that he actually thinks has a chance. Uh, but to Nick's point, and actually a question for Nick, am I wrong? Was the fig initially a 110 for Star Fortress? 
I, I think it up? was, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm almost positive that's right. Because In fact, I remember, yeah. It, it, because I just remember talking with Caleb Keller about it the next day, and I was like, she had to run something like 100. And then it came back, and I was like, she ran a freaking 110. She ran a hole in the wind. If she does anything close to that here, you're not just looking at you know the star of Saturday. You're probably looking at a likely Breeders' Cup kind of winner if she maintains that form. Yeah. I get it. you got a long way to go. But for Cherie DeVoe to have a horse like this in the first start in the U.S., a trainer that typically I think you see better with a little bit of time, uh, uh, sky's the limit. I, I don't know if you want to take that sort of fig and, and look at it kind of you know squint around a little bit. I'm, I'm with Nick, though. I think you're supposed to approach it kind of as what it is. She came back and she worked 59 and change around the dogs the other day at Palm Meadows. I have no reason to, to think that she won't run well on Saturday. And I should clarify when I talk about Fluffy Socks potentially being the best closer. If, if the real uh, star goddess shows up, she's the best closer. But just in my little world, in my little uh, headcanon where I'm trying to uh, tell a story where I can beat her, that's where I end up with Fluffy Socks in just the theory that for whatever reason the, that, that race proves to be illusory. It probably won't. And there will be star goddess on my tickets. I would just be very likely losing equity in this race in bets should, uh, should she go in. Let's talk about race number 11, the Hooper great reaction going a mile on the turf and say it with me, big full field here. The question I think we have to begin with is Hijazi. How good is he? Uh, are, are we with or against Nick? I mean, I think this is a little too much for him. The inside post, the likely uh, pace scenario he faces, the fact that he's got speed immediately to his outside and in a couple of other spots in there. Look, I'm not going to be shocked if this horse ends up getting the lead and, and fending everybody off the entire way. I just don't, I don't like the prospect of it at sub two to one. And there are just way too many interesting horses for me in here to take him. Um, I'm most intrigued by the three steel sunshine and the 12 signator. I think they each have something to offer. They're both off the pace horses. Um, steel sunshine. I thought ran a very credible race last time out. And um, obviously we've seen that, that the Harlan's holiday has been uh, productive and that lure him in and octane came back and ran one, two. I know it was in a Florida bread race, but lure him in really had the, the tougher trip in there and came back and, and won his next start. Um, I thought it was a nice forward move for steel sunshine. He looks to be going the right direction figure wise. Now he's second off a layoff. He's a Gulfstream lover. He just seemed to make a lot of sense to me. And I, I think signator's effort in the Queens County was, uh, was a lot better than it looks on paper. Um, I love our man, Brian Natto. There's not a chance in hell this horse is 15 to one. Um, he's going to be probably a third of that with these connections. And this is a popular horse anyway. And uh, I take enough heat about morning lines that I can make a comment like I was, that. I was so, going to say, um, he, he, Brian's going to file that away and wait till he sees one at Keeneland and he's going to Brian, Brian knows, Brian knows. I love him. He's going to, he knows these are, these races are hard. You know, they're hard when they're so contentious and, and in a race like this, where you're trying to really get it, you're trying to guess basically how nuts the public is going to go for Hijazi, um, knowing that he's going to get a lot of support too. You start making him eight to five in a 12 horse race, you run out of points pretty quick. So, um, but Signator is a West Point horse with from Shug with you know a lot of of 90 plus buyer speed figures and kind of a forward looking pattern. Um, he's a horse who's going to take an awful lot of money in here. So, um, yeah, I, three and 12 for me primarily. Um, I'll use the one a little bit, probably more so as a C. I'll use the A to Creative a little bit as well. He was wide in the uh, in the Cigar Mile. Um, I really don't know how good he is when push comes to shove, but I know he didn't really have a, an optimal chance to put anything good really forth in the in the Cigar Mile. 
you you uh, mentioned all the horses I wanted to talk about. I you know I, I three eight eleven three eight twelve were the numbers that that I wrote down. I was going to ask you if I was nuts for not quite being ready to quit accretive yet. You made excellent points on the one others. more try. The, <laughs> what's that? One more try. That's it. That's all accretive gets. That's it. That's one it. more shot. He's on the He's on notice. Matt, how about yeah. you? Are you are you with us on wanting to try to lean against Hijazi in the spot, or are we making this race more complicated than it is? No, I mean this is becoming a very boring podcast. Um, I I like Steel Sunshine right on top. Um, I, I thought the Harlan's Holiday was much better than Luke's effort. He was parked wide every step of the way. It was a race that largely held up as far as the pace was concerned. Um, O'Connor made a little bit of a move from a couple lengths off of it, but he was pretty close to it throughout as well. Steel Sunshine, I thought, did the most running in there. And I like this turn back for him. I think at heart, he's a one-turn kind of horse. Uh, the other horse for me is Signator on the outside. I agree with Nick. He's going to be a fraction of that price. Maybe I'm a little bit harder about that Queens County. I, I thought he was supposed to beat Krupe. I don't think much of Krupe. That's just me. Um, but then again, he's he's basically run a mile and a quarter in each of his last races. So I, I think he's a really talented horse. I thought it was a little odd that they put him on the, the van to go north to run in that Queens County because he was also entered here um, in one of the races. I don't remember if it was the Harlan's Holiday or the other race. But point being, I think there's some ability in here. I think he can run. If I was going to throw a wild card in there, um, I don't know how good he is, but Tumba Roomba, second cycle for Lynch, he's going to be a big number. Um, he's eight. I could see him floating up from that Louisiana bred race. There was only three other horses in there, but his numbers all kind of stack up. He's pretty close, I think. And um, he's one that won't be completely outrun early on, I don't think, but he's going to get the jump on the deepest of the deep closers. And uh, as far as Hajazi goes, I, I'm not way against him, but he hasn't gotten appreciably better at any point in his career. He just kind of runs the same race and maybe it's good enough. But to Nick's point from the rail with other speed in here. Um, it's also just odd that Baffert puts him on the plane. I think this may be a stopgap to send him to the Middle East. Step on the way. I, I wouldn't shock me. I'll say this. If speed looks good, if the inside looks good, I, I may completely rewrite my opinion of this race and dial down into him a little bit more. But I'm sort of hoping it's, it's you know, if it's more the typical track where speed's good, but, you know, the, the, the rail isn't necessarily great and the chance he could get pinned down inside there. I'd like to try to beat him and pick up some equity in these various bets. Let's pivot to race number 12, the Pegasus World Cup turf. This race is uh, pretty, pretty interesting uh, with the international participation grade one going a mile and an eighth. We'll start. I won't start this typically. I'll start this because we had a uh, we had a question I can pop up very specifically about Masterpiece as potentially uh, being an upsetter as part of the Rick Dutro reunion tour. I have to say the more I grind on this race, the more I do think the way that I'm seeing it shake out, I think I'm going, because I'm I'm going to, uh, foolish though it may be, probably try to take on Warm Heart here to some degree. And if I do that, it'll allow me to include a runner like Masterpiece um, either of you guys have any use for Masterpiece before we uh, dissect this race in the normal way. I mean, I, I can see him running well. I, I don't love him. I don't hate him. Um, I'm, I'm sort of ambivalent on him. Eight to ten to one type, that feels like the price to you, man, yeah. I'm hearing. Yeah, I would say ten seems about right. What are your thoughts yeah, on him? Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think he has a, a particularly big look at winning. I'm not going to be shocked if he gets a piece of it. Um, I think push comes to shove, he's probably better going longer. Uh, Rick Dutcher also made a comment, and Rick Dutcher is sort of bizarrely transparent when it comes to stuff like this. He said the horse really is better in cooler weather. 
And so I wonder if that's kind of a bit of a problem. Um, you know, Rick's had a million stories for horses over the years, right? Which ones had bad teeth, who needed time between races, stuff like that's a popular one, obviously. But yeah, I mean, you know, he ran well. Um, he's sort of a, he's an annoying last time was the time horse, if you like him in here, because 10 to 1, even from the outside post in the Red Smith was a hell of a price, especially if you're going to be taking about that, maybe even a little bit less in this race, which is decidedly tougher on paper. Let's get to the favorite, um, Warm Harch. Now, I'll just make my mini case against, and I'll preface it by saying, fastest horse with the best form, and if you want to just stop your analysis there, I'm not going to fight you too bad. But I think the mile and eighth definitely has the potential to be sharp for her. And I think it's also being viewed, we've seen Coolmore do this before, where it's just a, a, what, the, what they would call a shot to nothing, what we would call a free roll. She's, she's here anyway. She's going to see Justify. And uh, they have a chance to pick up a nice purse and on, on the way out, and it's not going to hurt her one iota if she's a, 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 an okay third or whatever. I have a feeling the board might tilt in her direction by the time it's all said and done. And, and again, while, while she can absolutely win, I thought it might be an interesting opportunity to, to, to shoot for a long shot. Uh, Matt, who's your idea of the winner here? And please tell me I'm nuts. Oh, we lost Matt for a second. He'll be back. I was seeing he was he was dealing with what looked like some, some hotel Wi-Fi, but he's down there more permanently than that. While we wait for Matt to return, Nick, I'll ask you the same question. What do you think of Warm Heart in this spot? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, Warm Heart's good races win this thing easily. And, but her good races have come at longer distances. They have come... Um, in scenarios where she was probably much more conditioned for that particular race, you know, hearing that this is going to be her final start that, you know, it's, it's, uh, she's on her way to Kentucky from here. Um, it knowing that we've seen a lot of horses over the years that were just sort of Aiden O'Brien throw-ins, you get a little concerned that she's sort of a throw-in, right. That she's just kind of in there for the hell of it. You know, her, her value really doesn't matter. She's going to go and get covered by, Ashford Stallion, and she's going to have a, a foal that they're going to race, right? So, I mean, there's not, you're not adding a lot of value. Now, you know, my friend Pat Cummings said to me, oh, it was a terrible version of the Hong Kong Vaz last time out. I said, so tell me, how does a bad Hong Kong Vaz compare to a good Pegasus turf, right? <laughs> I mean, let's not kid ourselves about what that means. The other thing is that, you know, you watch that Hong Kong Vaz and I don't even really think it matters necessarily who the horses are. She really ran well against the grain of the race. I mean, she was in the teeth of that pace the entire way. And the one, two finishers come swooping over the top and she fought her way all the way to the finish. So, I mean, she ran very well at a mile and a half. The other thing is that, you know, maybe you're a little bit helped if you like her. And again, I'm not going to go on a big rant about a six to five shot, but she was very much engaged early in the Breeders' Cup. And, yeah. you know, that was a situation where that pace was strong and she was yes. really never that far off. Of it, and she was grabbing the lead at the eighth pole. So, you know, theoretically, the mile and eighth probably shouldn't be much of a problem in a little bit more of a of a conventionally run race at a little bit slower pace. Um, you know, to me, it's about. So, yeah, that's kind of how where I landed on her. I take that point. Would she be your top pick in here? Well, I picked her on the Twin Spires show I did, and I, and I refused to do the whole heresy thing where I pick different horses on different shows. So, yeah, I'm going to pick her. Um, I'm going to pick her reluctantly. I should have probably taken more time before I sent my pick in. <laughs> 
figure feel free though to suggest some potential alternatives for those spreading in the uh in the tropical turf pick three and the pick six. Yeah, I mean I mean integration is like super obvious, right? I mean, he's a horse that could really be anything. Um, he began his career very impressively and beating program trading on the square in his second career start was terrific. And you know, he just ripped the face off those horses in the hill prints, did exactly what he was supposed to do. You know, who knows how good integration really is. Right. We're, we're going to find out. Um, it's a great acid test for him. He drew favorably on the inside. So I'll definitely use him. And then I've got to use my old buddy, Jerry, the nipper. I mean, Jerry, the nipper is probably at a point where he sees Jose Ortiz walking up to him and he's like, no, 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 not you. Not you, like anybody but you, right? And with all due respect to Jose Ortiz, Eclipse Award-winning jockey, he has put forth a string of some of the most god-awful rides on Jerry the Nipper you're ever going to find. And the shame of it is that, like, somebody needs to to realize that Jerry the Nipper used to be a speed horse. Like, and now they've he's dragged him out of the race every single time. He got totally shuffled out last time and ended up making this really strong late bid. I don't think that Fort Lauderdale was particularly good, but I'll tell you one thing. If you're betting somebody out of there, you're absolutely betting Jerry the Nipper. And Todd going blinkers on has not been a huge angle, a huge positive angle in the past, but it does sort of lead you to believe that even being willing to use Jose, Todd has said, this horse is getting way more involved early because he has enough speed to really be dangerous. I, I would be ill if this horse wins this race at 20 plus to one, which I think he'll be every bit of. I think you're right. I, I took a dim view of the of the Fort Lauderdale, but you are making a compelling case. The horse on his best numbers, uh, you know, if you if you if you if you pick and choose different sectionals, you can definitely conjure a case. There's worse twenty to one shots, maybe twenty five to one shots out there. Matt, how about you? Who's your idea of the winner of the Pegasus Turf? Sorry about the Wi-Fi. The uh, apartment no, no worries. We we, um, we cover it. So it's interesting to hear you guys say, Pete, you're kind of against the Fort Lauderdale and Nick, the only one you would want out of there is Jerry. I, I love King Max. Um, I lost by a head a large, large stack of cash on December 30th. So I'm not just chasing this horse, but there is a little bit of history here. Um, I, I firmly believe, and maybe other folks will disagree, that inside on the turf, that day was absolutely a must if you were to run your best. And this horse was parked five wide basically the whole way around. He never changed leads. I get that, you know, David Egan is a European rider and they're not conditioned to try to do that sort of thing. I I think this horse can run. I, I think he's a proper runner, not just some sort of a, a clunk up piece. Obviously, if Warmheart runs her best race, she probably wins. Um, integration could be anything, but this is, I think, probably the best he's ever faced. Um, I, I'm not afraid to say it. I have no problem being completely wrong in this horse running second last, but I think all the Amo racing horses have run. Uh, King Max is the truly the only horse I really want to bet on Saturday. It's just a matter of how do I get alive to him in some sort of a pick three. I love the confidence. I think you make an interesting point about the way the turf was playing that day. The horse has some kick. Egan's an excellent rider, and I think improving all the time with every uh, with, with every ride down there. So, I mean, the, the idea that he would have learned some things since then. You know, I'm 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 not going to be able to be won over because I feel like the way that I'm looking at the world, I'd have to include. I, I'd probably then have to end up, you know, going too deep with those Fort Lauderdale horses. But it's not crazy. It's not nuts. I, my idea might be nuts, which is to give Cheryl Spite one more chance. I mean, I'm not the horse. You know, had a perfect trip in in the Breeders' Cup Mile and just wasn't quite good enough. But you know, sort of like Nick's point about the Hong Kong Vaz before, like getting beat 
less than three in the, in that in that race in the Breeders' Cup Mile doesn't doesn't that put you right there on the wire in a, in a race like this? I think it might. And uh, this is a horse that had a litany of excuses for the races since the the, the overseas trip, where Randy Boss told the story about uh, Fipke overruling Atfield with, with with various various decisions of where to run this horse, and you can see it right there in the PPs. I think this horse is really good. I think he might have one more big race in him. Um, you know, he's a grade one winner who has some some strong numbers, and I think he's going to be every bit of that 15 to one price. I'm going to take a little shot there. The integration case is so obvious. I, I'm not I'm not missing that train. And then, you know, in certain combinations, if I can include Masterpiece and if it makes sense to include Warm Heart in some combinations where I have other prices in other legs. It's not like I'm against her. I'm going to list her as a B, but she's a she's she's soft for me, and there'll be a lot of combinations where she's left out completely. It's a fun race. It's it's an interesting rendition where there's a lot of lot of cool things that could happen, and you know, I uh, just going over this between what we're going to see in the Philly and Mare turf potentially from Star Fortress and and what integration could be. These could be two very serious Breeders' Cup type USA based turf horses, and that's not something we get to see year in, year out. So I, I'm excited very much uh, by, by the prospects of these turf races. This brings us, folks, to the main event, the Pegasus World Cup, grade one action. And, and this is a race where the more I look at it, um, the more I really, really want to try to get clever and come up with something at a little bit of a price. But the more I find myself, like, as I construct actual tickets, having trouble leaving off the favorites entirely because they just, you know, they look pretty darn logical, uh, even if not exciting to me. Really curious if you guys can help me focus my opinion here and, and help finalize some of these tickets that are rattling around in my head. Matt Bernier, we'll start with you and the key question when it comes to all these late picks on uh, Pegasus World Cup Day. How are we going to get paid? Uh, hell if I know. Um <laughs> Truth be told, I don't like any of these horses. Uh, I think they all have major flaws across the board. You're trying to marry yourself to a horse that you don't really like. That's when I immediately start shopping around. But it could end up being Captain Obvious and the two best horses end up being National Treasure and First Mission. And, you know, it ends up being a rather boring result. I just don't like the Clark as a whole. Um, I like Trademark. He's a nice horse. But, I mean, if he wins the Pegasus, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, National Treasure wouldn't pass a parked car. I don't think he's going to make the lead with Hoist the Gold in here. Um, I, I hate to say this. I know it sounds ridiculous. I, I'm probably, I'm probably going to go with hoist the gold and I don't know that he wants to go a step past a mile, but I, I just don't have any faith in these other horses trying to rally from the back of it. And if Johnny is intent on making the lead, like it sounds like he told Dallas Stewart, you know, prior to that run at Keeneland, right after the run at Keeneland, like you got to ride the hair off of him. I know he probably took advantage of a, a pretty substantial speed bias at Aqueduct when he won the cigar, but I just I have way too many concerns about everybody else to just settle on two to one or three to one. Yeah, I I hear you. And hoist the gold isn't nuts. I mean, when you look at the horse's blood, the mile and a should be okay. He ran going the mile. Now, granted, he was flattered by the way the track was playing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but he didn't look like he was gasping for air late. I I hear it. I mean, a a prop him a prop with very nice odds, reflective of the morning line, head to head, him versus National Treasure. I'd I'd stab it at hoist the gold to end up uh, proving the best speed in a spot like this. What about you, Nick? Who's gonna Who's gonna be before we get to the winner? Who's gonna be the best speed? Um. 
I, I would I would hope hoist the gold. I mean, it should be hoist the gold. Um, National Treasure is not particularly fast on pace figures. He's he's actually I want to say the time from US pace projector basically had him like sixth. Um, it does not have him really squarely in the mix at all. And you know what I fear is that this will become more of a rider intense situation. National Treasure also has a quick first step. So I do worry a little bit that he's going to get out of the gate quickly and start to kind of try and make a left coming out of the gate. The good thing about Hoist the Gold is that I mean, the three horses immediately to his inside are all, they're all taking back coming out of the gate. So, I mean, he's going to get, he should get a pretty easy trip to the first turn in terms of, of getting in there. Um, I would, I would be, it'd be awfully hard to believe that Johnny Velasquez is going to defer on uh, on hoist the gold given the way he rode him in the cigar mile and the way he performed i think it's pretty clear that he believes as matt was alluding to that he's just a much better horse with the lead and you know national treasure ran well in the breeders cup dirt mile he also got a pretty easy lead right i mean he had virtually no straw in his path and um and still you know got run down by a superior horse no surprise so yeah i think hoist the gold ends up probably being best speed and then you've got enough pressers in there that are supposed to force the issue along as well and just make sure they're moving with grand aspen and skippy Longstocking to an extent um able to to kind of keep things somewhat honest i guess the uh, first mission is probably not going to be too far off it. i mean if you look at pace pace lines first missions clark is a way faster race than national treasures dirt mile Right. I mean, in terms of the pace he was involved in. So uh, I, I would imagine first mission's got to be relatively close to. And in terms of who's going to be there on the wire, Nick. So I pick trademark. You know, I don't I don't have a huge like this isn't me, you know, stomping my feet and saying I love trademark, this and that. I mean, I get it. I'm taking a Vicky Oliver horse in a pretty big spot. Um, but she's done a great job with this horse. I mean, he's he's really overperformed on a number of occasions. I think I have at least a viable excuse for him at Keeneland, two starts back. He was a little bit too close to that pace and um and, and maybe just expended a little bit too much energy. The fact that it's sand it's sandwiched by two really good efforts. I understand both were at Churchill where he might just be a little bit better than anywhere else, but it seems like he's been good since she took him down to pace and he has a recent bullet workout. So I'm assuming he'll be ready to go. You know, the crazy thing is that not only was he 13 to one to, you know, to first missions sub even money or nearly sub even money at six to five, but they're, they're going to be, he's going to be five times the price of first mission again. Right. And for no reason whatsoever. You know, for he, it is not like something happened that gave him some clear advantage over first mission. He just beat him. And, and in all likelihood, he's just going to beat him again. So, you know, at a better price. So I figured I'd take him. I wanted, I'd love to be clever enough to pick a horse like Senor Buscador. He just has, he has too much to do. And, and Gulfstream is not conducive to his kind of style. So um, I respect him. I, I think he's been a really fun horse over the years. And I could easily see him getting a piece of it. But I think winning's probably asking a little too much. He was my pick, but I made very clear on all the other shows to say, well, I will use on top, definitely one I'm going to want to be having in fourth and third and second, you know, as much as I have on top because Gulfstream. I mean, we'll see how the track's playing. Uh, but I do think there is some scenario where the four and the seven go so hammering tongs. And I, I think the time form algorithm is, is clearly pulling from the last several lines. If you just look at the last national treasure line, I still don't think he's as fast as Hoist the Gold, but I do think he's fast enough if they both just say, no, I'm going to get the lead, that it could really set up for him to, to come running. And again, at least at least get a, a, a smaller piece in here. Under the same theory, a horse that I could see using 
in those same type of bets, more third and fourth, maybe just a penny on top. Or is that I used the same cheesy line on in so many of my write-ups last year that I was doing for at the races.com when he was running in big, big races, Il Miracolo would need a miracle to, to win this. It's probably not too much of a stretch to bust out the same old line this time around, but he's going to be on a ticket of mine at least. And, and certainly one that in some scenarios I play for a collapse, he'll, he'll, I think it's okay to have him, especially in third and fourth on, on, on tickets. Any other thoughts, uh, Matt, on this race and how you might approach it vertically or, or, or horizontally, or, or is it as simple as what you said before? I mean, the most annoying result for me is probably dynamic one. Um, and I, I have nothing against the, the folks involved with the horse. I just, I think he is a plotter of all plotters and I could just, I don't know. I, I could see him, running much better than I anticipate him running because on paper, I just don't really see much of a case for him, but um, he's one that if he wins, I will certainly lose. And I guess it, it, it depends what your opinion of the Harlan's holiday is. I don't think O'Connor should be completely dismissed. Um, he can at least stay relatively close to the front end. I find it interesting that Gaffalione is listed on Skippy Longstocking and Paco's on this horse. I don't know if there's anything to that, but um, O'Connor was one of the few in that Harlan's holiday that was kind of plugging along, making up some, ground at the very end you know if, if you think that you end up with a bit of a barbecue up front maybe he can come along and get some pieces at which should be i would think close to that morning line six seven eight to one back to senior buscador for a second um brian was was second guessing himself and this 20 to one line um on the podcast i i did with him before I don't know. I, I don't know how this horse is going to get better or not. I, I'm very curious. Uh, what, what do you think, Nick? Just in terms of just in terms of if you were trying to hang a line on Senor Buscador, he did get bet last time, but he doesn't typically get bet. And I think a lot of people might have that same idea in mind that Gulfstream just doesn't really project to be his course. Uh, he ain't going to be 20, but I'm not sure he's going to be. I mean, he might be 12 or 14. Yeah, I mean, he was 29 in the Breeders' Cup Classic and since then has a co-top fig for his career. So um, he's going to be about 8 or 10 to 1, in my opinion. I think he's going to be he's going to be pretty well fancied. I think the problem – see, I think Brian was too aggressive with National Treasure. I don't think National Treasure is a 9 to 5 shot in this race. I think he's probably going to be – I mean, he's definitely going to be favored – um, but I don't blame him for doing what he did. I mean, right. There's a lot of sex appeal to national treasure. He's a Bob Baffert horse. He comes off a big fig. He just lost to Cody's wish. Who's, you know, one of the most popular horses of all time, but I think he's probably about a five to two shot. First mission is a massively popular horse coming off a fast race himself where he just missed. He's going to get a lot of money as well. So yeah, I think Senor Buscador is going to have a pretty decent amount of appeal to people and guys like you and I don't want any part of him at eight to one. Right. I mean, he's not even a fun. Be sure at that price yeah that's yeah. not that's not that interesting what you're hoping for um is that we're looking at something a little bit more in line of uh, along the lines of what brian was anticipating um so uh but again i mean this is it's a very tough race to make a line for especially when you're starting at nine to five on the favorite because you're going to end up taking you're going to end up having some horses that um that drift up price wise in your in your line because you've you've dedicated so many points to the uh to the favorite so um, you know, you also want to make it so that the race looks as competitive as possible because it really is. But like Grand Aspen was 10 to one in the Harlands holiday. It's hard to believe to me that he's eight to one in the Pegasus. 
right? This is a totally different race, a much, much tougher race, even as well as he ran. So, I mean, there's a little mix around there, but yeah, I don't, I don't envy Brian's job, but I, I'd be a little uncomfortable having made Senor Buscador 20 to one as well. But you know, I once made a Brad Cox first time starter eight to one that won at four to five by the length of the stretch. <laughs> you know what though, to, to, to that point too, though, like you say, you're certainly not throwing shade at anyone. I mean, I think there's a real scenario in which first mission is actually the favorite. Uh, I I totally agree. Wouldn't shock me yeah. at all. You know, National Treasure's been the favorite one time in 10 starts yeah. for Bob Baffert. Yeah. Right. First mission's been odds on multiple times in his career. So um, I and I think a lot of people probably look at it and think, all right, hoist the goal, National Treasure hook up, first mission tucks in, he gets first run. You know, I, I could see a scenario in which he's two to one, and like Nick said, maybe National Treasure's five to two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. And it's actually kind of funny to note that, that, you know, you'd think a triple crown winning a triple crown race winning Bob Baffert horse would just be the darling everywhere. And, you know, right. this is a horse that, I, I mean, I, I feel like this horse one off nine to two in the dirt mile. Part of it was sort of attrition, right? That field took such a hit race week uh, in terms of, of participants that people eventually gravitated towards them. But I don't remember anybody telling me they liked national treasure. I probably scoffed at them if they did. So, um, and I looked pretty stupid at about the eighth pole, but um, you know, yeah, he's a, he's a horse that you could see people being a little reluctant to embrace. The other thing is that, you know, you don't need to be much of a clairvoyant to realize that this horse needs the lead. Right. And people generally don't like these kind, especially in a scenario where it doesn't look like he's going to get get the lead. If he had the three and hoist the gold had the 12, then, you know, you'd probably say that's going to take a lot of work from hoist the gold to get to the front. I think National Treasure is getting the lead. But, you know, this is just one of those scenarios where him being isolated on the front end like he clearly needs to be. It just doesn't seem likely doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like that's going to happen. I mean, I, we see so much strange stuff with rider decisions and I'm not ruling it out. I, there'll be some sevens uh, on the ticket for me just for little academic purposes, some betting that people can actually uh, wager upon internationally, just for some price comparisons, national treasure, five to two, first mission, three trademark, six hoist the gold, nine O'Connor, 10 Buscador, 14 Aspen, 18 Skippy, 20 Il Miracolo, 28, Dynamic 133, Nimitz class 40. So uh, yeah, Brian's line doesn't look too bad uh, based on, you know, against actual betting with the maybe those couple of exceptions that you pointed out, Nick. But I mean, he's certainly in, in the ballpark doing a very uh, doing a very difficult yeah. job. He's Speaking of very- difficult jobs, public handicapper on TV, Matt Bernier, apparently was lighting it up today at uh, at Gulfstream Park. Good work, Matt. Hopefully you keep the keep the good form going through throughout the weekend. Do you, you find yourself a streaky like that sometimes? You just, you know, just like uh, yes. horses or trainers or jockeys, you get in the good run, good vein of form and just keep rolling with it? It's been my life for as long as I've been betting on the horses. It'll be a <laughs> month of I can spot dimes across the room, then it'll be a month of I couldn't hit water if I fell out of a boat. <laughs> you remind just, me of the old comments. You don't if you don't know the Tommy Lasorda uh, Bavacqua rant, this is worth listening to if you're any kind of baseball fan. And that 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 line, it, it was, I think the idea was somebody accused them of throwing at Kurt Bavacqua, who I think was hitting about 192 at the time, and Lasorda, who may have been drinking. I, I'm just theorizing here. No 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 hard proof. Bavacqua, you think we throw at Bavacqua? He couldn't hit water. He fell out of a boat. I'm going to send a limousine to pick up Bavacqua and take him to the ballpark. And, he, and on and on it goes. It's Earl Weaver worthy. Definitely worth checking out. 
We'll close it out with a question from Nancy. Thanks to everybody in the comments. Sorry, I couldn't get to more of them, but uh, Jeffrey and and Peter and Chris, who always does such a good good job in the comments. Jim, so many good things here. But uh, Nancy wants to know what jockey do we think is riding the Gulfstream turf course the best? That's an interesting one because we have some great turf riders who haven't necessarily been down there, who I always give extra credit to. But has anybody particularly caught your eye this meet, Matt, in terms of how they're riding the turf course? Well, I mean, I, I, you can say this more often than not about him, but it, there have been multiple horses that Arad Ortiz has been on that at the top of the lane, I don't know, I would have made him 15 to 1, and they get up. <laughs> like, he, he's just been timing things ideally. And, again, he, he's the best rider that we have for the most part, you know, on a day-in and day-out basis, so there's no real surprise there. He also happens to be on some of the best horses. But um, I think he's it's done hard. a tremendous job as far as the, the timing of some of these rides has been – much to my demise and dismay, um, ideal because I've been trying to beat him and he ends up snapping me at the wire. <laughs> Anybody stood out to you, Nick, lately at, at Gulfstream? Yeah, I mean, I agree with with Matt. It's really unbelievable how consistently Irad rides, and he's on the best horse more often than not. But he certainly doesn't get in their way terribly much. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, the Paco Lopez phenomenon, I, has, I've always sort of marveled at. I've never seen somebody win so consistently and look so terrible on horseback. I mean, it is just one of the most unsightly things you'll ever find. But the guy gets into position more often than not. He's incredibly astute when it comes to saving ground. And, you know, you always know that what you're going to get with Paco is he is basically going to try and take any edge on horseback he can. Right. If he's got a tight spot that he can put somebody else into to help his mount, he's going to do it. It's been to his detriment on multiple occasions, but he's going to do everything he can to try and get you to the wire. So I thought I think he's ridden really well. And, you know, he was about 30 percent when Irad showed up second week of December and his numbers haven't fallen off all that much. And and I've watched New York racing long enough to know that, you know, when Irad gets back into the colony, a lot of the guys that are winning just fall apart and uh, that's not really been the case with Paco I, th I think he's ridden he's ridden exceptionally well he does ride the synthetic well too which I think helps his numbers all in all but uh, but he's ridden the turf pretty nicely in my opinion also the comment those two about have Paco kind of separated themselves from the Incredibly. rest it's not a not a yeah. knock but it's, yeah. it's those two and then everyone else yeah. Yeah. Obviously, with the boys coming in from from out of town, you know, the, the, there's that much more uh, that much more competition when you see uh, uh, Misters uh, Dettori and, and and Pratt around. But there's certainly guys you can upgrade day in day out. The comment you made about uh, about Paco and 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 the, the the aesthetic displeasure at times did make me two names pop to mind immediately. Bejarano at times can be can be like that. And 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 Chavez exactly. That was, that was and, I, and I nobody nobody loved Jorge Chavez more than I did. I mean, oh, it, I loved he him was too. And he's and that's too young probably to remember much much of. Oh, uh, he of, looked of, so of, god awful on horseback. <laughs> and you remember the best thing was like he was like Chichi Rodriguez with his whip, right? When he would would do the the golf club and the putter and put it away. Yes. When he busted the stick out. And his arms were so short, he would pull it out like it was a sword and then start wailing away on the front of them because he couldn't reach their hind end because he was so small. But, uh, yeah, he looked so bad. But, boy, let me tell you what, mid to late 90s, good luck getting past the Jorge Chavez horse in the stretch. And he, one thing I remember, random memory of him, is that he, he, would, he would seem to always find, like, the right path, like the tire track or whatever, on the wet racetrack. He was worth, like, having always. a race on the Always. Race. But that yeah, style, yeah. that uh, the, the 
the ugliness with with the bat, as uh, our our mutual friend Dan Illman would call it, would not play well in twenty twenty four racing. They they they, they, no, no. they there'd be a heist. There'd be a heiser rule to call the Chavez rule, right? That you couldn't use, you couldn't brandish that thing the way he did. <laughs> oh, it's pretty funny. Guys, really appreciate you coming on. Didn't plan on going the whole hour, but uh, so it is. We had great uh, comments the whole way. Thanks to everybody who's thanking us again. You know, one of the reasons we love doing these shows is uh, because you, the viewers and listeners, make it so much fun. We've talked a bunch about the betting pools that we've got going on Pegasus Day. There's extra bets in the middle of the card. There's an extra pick four. There's an extra pick five. There's the Pegasus World Cup betting challenge. If you're going to be betting big money, it's only an extra thousand to fuel the entry fee. So it's 5,000 you bet and then a thousand going to the pot because there's $50,000 seeded in there. That gives you a very nice opportunity to walk away with more money than you came in with and a real equity, a positive equity situation. If you want to play with proper theory and, and try to win the whole thing, uh, that's going to be a lot of fun to follow along as well. Uh, guys, well, thank you again. Matt Bernier, Nick Tamro, you guys are the best. Uh, fun to talk about these races. and You've definitely helped uh, shape some of my opinions and look forward to trying to get some of this uh, money and uh, see so many people out there at Gulfstream. We'll thank our sponsors from Gulfstream Park and First Racing, Pegasus World Cup Betting Challenge. One more time, pwcbc.com to get more information on that one. For Nick, for Matt, I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.